0: Again, we're in a series entitled, Why Do We Believe That? Um, Last week, we covered the doctrine of sin. Uh, We was talking about the most pressing problem for all of humanity from the beginning of time until today and will be till the end of time. The most pressing problem humanity faces is sin. If you believe that, say amen this morning. So the most pressing problem for humanity is sin. And we talked about how that Jesus Christ is the solution to that problem of sin. So beginning today and for the next three weeks past today, uh, we're going to study the glorious solution to sin, namely the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Scripture, as we looked last week, Gabriel the angel had visited Mary and Joseph and informed them of what was about to take place in their lives. And he told both of them, Name this baby Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Even his name means he's the Savior. Also, he's known as Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God with us. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the one and the one and only one that came into this world to save sinners. Biblical Christology, which simply means the study of Christ. That's what we're going to do today and for the next three weeks. We're going to study the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to study him inside and out and through and through. Now, biblical Christology, that is the study of Christ, Uh, actually has two main parts that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at who is Jesus and what He has done. Who He is and what He has done, the work of Christ. Who Jesus is, His person. And what Jesus has done, His work, is the source of our hope. Can you read the inscription here? It says, Hope in who? Hope in Christ, not hope in you, not hope in me, not hope in humanity, not hope in anything that this world can provide, but Jesus Christ is our only hope. He's the foundation of our confidence. He is all that we have as we enjoy being redeemed, as we enjoy being born again from above. Jesus is that source, who he is and what he's done. So again, Today and next week, we're going to be considering who Jesus is. And what this means is, today, the last Sunday of 2020, we're going to preach and teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord willing, if he tarries is coming next Sunday morning, the very first Sunday of 2021, we're going to teach and preach and study about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how could it get any better than that? We're going to close out the year teaching and preaching about Jesus, and we're going to open up the new year teaching and preaching about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now then, the core of our faith, the core of our faith, the core of our faith and the source of our hope is not a congregation, and I'm thankful for our congregation. Aren't you thankful for our fellowship? But that's not the core Of our hope. It's not the source of our hope. It's not a creed. There is an age old document called the Baptist Faith and Message, and it kind of outlines what we believe. And it's similar to the series we're preaching right now the doctrines in which we uh, live by and what we believe. But that is not the core of our faith. The core of our faith is not an experience. It's not an experience. So many people put so much stock in an experience. And the core of our faith is not a experience or many experiences. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. The core of our faith is a person. And His name is Jesus Christ. And that's so important for us to nail down today. And knowing Him as we was watching the pastor uh, talk this morning, it's so sad that especially in the day and hour in which we live and in our culture, a lot of people know about Christ. But not so many truly know Jesus Christ. Again, it's not okay just to know about Jesus. You have to know Him. And the only way you can know Him is through the new birth. It's through the preaching of the Word of God. It's the sharing of the Word of God. It's hearing the Word of God. It's being convicted in your heart of your sins. It's God regenerating you and and opening your heart and allowing you to have faith and, and, and allowing you to repent and believe and call upon His name for salvation. Knowing Jesus is not the beginning of the Christian life. Knowing Jesus is the Christian life. It is the Christian life. As a born-again believer, each of us have a personal relationship with Jesus, which means the study of Christ, Christology, is very, very and deeply practical. It's very practical. We live this day in and day out. When we discuss the person of Jesus, we we always want to keep in mind this great mystery. And guys, as we preach through this doctrine series, I just want to reiterate, I don't know everything I know about this. I'm learning. I believe believe there's much of the Word of God that is still a mystery, and it will not be fully revealed until we get home to heaven and we see things as they are and we reveal things as they are. But as we study the person of Christ, especially in today's message... We've got to keep in mind this great mystery that at Christ's birth, his, His birth was called His incarnation. It was when God came to earth. At His birth, Jesus was born fully God and fully man all at the same time. Brother Steve explained that, well, I can't fully, but I believe it. Why do I believe it? Because the Bible teaches it. Because the Bible teaches it. He was both fully God and fully man in one person. And the Bible calls him the God-man. The God-man. Emmanuel, God with us. He was one person with two natures. Two natures. So let's start today by learning who Jesus is by looking at his deity, the deity of Christ, which means Jesus Christ is fully God, the deity of Christ, and we'll begin in the Old Testament, okay? We'll do this chronologically. The deity of Christ in the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 24, we find Jesus walking with some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus is telling these men, hey guys, listen up, all of the writings in the Old Testament is all about me. Jesus is telling his disciples that the Old Testament is all about Him. Imagine that. You folks think I make things up as I go along. Jesus is the one that authored the saying, it's not about you, and it's not about me. Jesus says it's all about Him. And that's what He's telling the disciples on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24. He's telling them that all of the Old Testament Scripture is all about The Old Testament prophecies were full of teachings concerning His coming in His triumphant reign. The Old Testament teaches us how that He worked for our salvation from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything written about me. There it is. Everything in the Old Testament is written about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling his disciples, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything written about me must happen. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must come true. So what do we see in the Old Testament that's spoken about the Lord Jesus Christ that must come true? First of all, we see that he is the Son of Man. One of His names is the Son of Man. If you'll remember just a short time back, we did a series through the book of Daniel. Through the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, we find this glorious description of the Lord, the Ancient of Days He's called, and He's seated upon His throne. And then just a few verses later, Daniel describes another vision, but this time he sees another figure, the Son of Man. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He said, In my vision I saw one who looked like a son of man. He was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the eternal God. He was led right up to Him. And He was given authority and glory and a kingdom. People from every nation and language worshipped Him. His authority will last forever. It will not pass away. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So who is this Son of Man? Well, it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses this title for Himself, and He taught in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and 32, He said, the Son of Man will come in all His glory. All the angels will come with Him. Then He will sit down on His throne in the glory of heaven. All the nations will be gathered in front of Him. He will separate the people into two groups. He will be like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats. Now, as Jesus is speaking here in Matthew chapter 25, did you not hear Him repeating what Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 7? why because the old testament is all about the lord jesus christ now not only is he known as the son of man he's also known as the son of david so next the old testament builds up the expectation uh, the expectation that a son of david is coming and this son of david is going to reign on david's throne forever and ever and ever, why is that? Because God promised this to King David. In Second Samuel chapter seven and verse 13, he says, "He is the one who will build a house where I will put my name." He said, "I will set up the throne of his kingdom, and it will last forever." And it'll last forever. And yet this highly anticipated son begins to be described in unmistakable divinity. In divine terms, in Psalms chapter 45, verse 6 and 7, he said, your throne is the very throne of God. Your kingdom will last forever and ever. You will rule by treating everyone fairly. You love what is right and hate what is evil, so your God has placed you above your companions. He has filled you with joy by pouring the sacred oil on your head. Did you notice how that the king is referred to as God? This coming king is referred to as God. Hebrew 1 teaches that this passage is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Here's a familiar Christmas passage. I told you last week, although we weren't preaching necessarily about the baby Jesus in the manger and his birth and all of this, last week's message and this week's message is very much a Christmas Message. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. He will rule over us and he will be called wonderful advisor, mighty God. He will also be called father who lives forever and prince who brings peace. The authority of his rule will continue to grow. The peace he brings will never end. He will rule on David's throne. And over his kingdom, he will make the kingdom strong and secure. His rule will be based on what is fair and right. It will last forever. The Lord's great love will make sure that happens. He rules over all. So again, who is this king? A royal son of David who is a mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. Not in the sense that he is God the Father, but that he is a king... Who rules benevolently like a loving father? This royal figure is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's what Christ means. That word Christ, it's the Greek translation for Messiah, which means the anointed one. The anointed one. Romans chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. He promised the good news long ago. In the Old Testament, He promised the good news long ago. He announced it through His prophets where? In the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about who? God's Son. And who is God's only begotten Son? The Lord Jesus Christ. As a human being, the Son of God belonged to King David's family line. Now then, let's... Let's move ahead into the New Testament. The deity of Christ in the New Testament. Now, as we move into the New Testament, let's look at six ways we're taught that Jesus Christ is fully God. The great mystery. Jesus is deity. The New Testament teaching us how that Jesus Christ is fully God. Number one, Jesus Christ is called God and Lord. So, Brother Steve, where do you find that? Well, John chapter one verse one says, "In the beginning, the Word was already there. The Word was with God." You all finish it up, and the Word. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God. Romans nine five calls Him Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, he's called our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's also several instances where the words used for God, theos, and the Lord, karios, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, are applied directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, is one of the most amazing examples where Paul says that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is L-O-R-D, Lord. He is God to the glory of God, the Father. And, And what's taking place here in Philippians is Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 33 almost word for word. And yet the one to whom every knee bows and every tongue confesses, every tongue swears allegiance in Isaiah 45 is none other than Yahweh the covenant Lord of Israel. Number two, Jesus Himself claims to be God. Jesus Christ claimed to be God. Secondly, we have Jesus claiming this with His own words. Listen to the statement in John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. Now when God was introducing Himself to Moses in the Old Testament... When Moses said, who should I tell Pharaoh is sending me? How did God reply? He said, you tell him I am is sending you. Who is I am? God the Father. Who is the I am? Jesus Christ. Later in John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. And again, the Jewish leaders, they go after Him to stone him because they're saying that you are uh, you are a hypocrite you you are spewing out heresy. Look at ten thirty three, John chapter ten verse thirty three. As Jesus is telling them before uh, before Abraham was, I am. When he said, I and the Father are one, they take up stones to stone him to death to put him to death. And here they they reply to Jesus, they're saying, we are not throwing stones at you. For any of these, replied the Jews, we are stoning you for saying a very evil thing. You are only a man, but you claim to be God. That's the problem with society today. Jesus says, I am. Jesus says, I am the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the Savior of the world. And because of the hardness of the world's heart, just like the Pharisees, they say, you are saying an evil thing. We do not believe on you. So they remain dead in their trespasses and sins. Number three, Jesus is presented as the object of the believer's faith and trust. Jesus is presented as the object of the believer's faith and trust. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said this, Believe in God, believes also in me. What do believers do? Who do we put our faith and trust in? Who have you put your faith and trust in today? The Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, Steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. John 17, 3, eternal life is to know Jesus Christ. Again, as the video was teaching, it's not enough to know about Him. It's not enough to know facts about Him. It's not enough to know when He lived and how He lived and what He taught and those sorts of things. Those are wonderful things to know, but just knowing about Jesus will not save you from your sins. You have to know Him personally. Through the new birth, you have to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Number four, Jesus is presented as the object of the believer's worship. Jesus is presented as the object of the believer's worship. Here's some more Christmas Scripture for you. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. See, when you know Jesus, you're filled with joy, aren't you? Now, I've taught you this a million times before. There's a huge difference between joy and happiness. Amen? Happiness is based upon the happenings in your life. If happenings are going good, you're happy. If happenings are going terrible, you're doing terrible. But when you know Jesus Christ, in spite of your circumstances, you are full of joy because you're full of Jesus, full of the Word, full of the Holy Spirit. The wise men went to the house. They saw, there they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures. They gave him gold, incense, and myrrh. Now, why did they give him these things? Because he's the object of worship. The object of worship. Look with me in John chapter 5 and verse 23. John chapter 5 and verse 23. Then all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Those who do not honor the Son do not honor the Father who sent Him. Is, is that very difficult to understand? I believe that's crystal clear, isn't it? All the people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Those who do not honor the Son do not honor the Father who sent him. In Isaiah chapter 48:11, God says, "My glory I will not give to another. Listen closely to that. Do you believe God always speaks truth? Does he ever contradict himself? So when God says in Isaiah 48, 11, My glory I will not give to another, and yet from His birth in Matthew chapter 2, the heavenly throne room in Revelation, Jesus receives worship, honor, and glory. Why is that? Because Jesus is God. This isn't blasphemy. This is not idol- idolatry. This is entirely appropriate because Jesus is God. Leads us to number five. Number five says, Jesus Christ is described as both being God and performing the works of God. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, the Word was already there. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. Nothing that has been made, was made without him. Look at verses 14 through 18. The Word. Now tie this together, folks. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? Now it says here in verse 14, the Word, who's the Word? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Word became a what? The Word became a human being. He made His home with us. Here's the God-man. Fully God, fully man. We have seen His glory. God says, I don't share my glory with anybody, yet He's sharing it with Jesus Christ because Jesus is God. He said, I said, who comes after me? Wait, this was the one I was talking about. John says, I'm sorry, I, I I jumped the gun. John gives witness about Him. John gives witness about him. He cries out and says, This was the one I was talking about. I said, He who comes after me is more important than I am. He is more important because he existed before I was born. Now, a quick history lesson. Is John the Baptist older than his cousin Jesus Christ, physically speaking? Yeah, it's pretty much understood that John is at least, what, six months older than the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ told the Pharisees that before Abraham was, I am. The Bible says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John says, this is the one I'm talking about. He comes after me. He's more important than I am. He's more important because he existed before I was born. Why? Because he has forever existed he has forever existed we have all received one blessing after another god's grace is not limited moses gave us the law jesus christ has given us grace and truth no one has ever seen god but god the own the one and only son is at the father's side he has shown us what god is like jesus is the creator isn't he look at hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 in the past, God spoke to our people through the prophets. He spoke it many times. He spoke in different ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through who? Through His Son. He is the one whom God appointed to receive all things. God made everything through Him. The sun is the gleaming brightness of God's glory. He is the exact likeness of God's being. He uses His powerful word to hold all things together. He provided the way for people to be more pure from sin. Then He sat down at the right hand of the King, the majesty in heaven. So He became higher than the angels. The name He received is more excellent than theirs. Jesus reveals God. And Jesus sustains all of creation. Did you see those words? He's holding it all together. Aren't you thankful for Jesus today? Now there's days you wake up and there's nights you fall asleep knowing and believing that your world is falling apart. But guess what? It'll never fall apart because the Creator is holding all things together. Trust Him, love Him, serve Him. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 Christ is the exact likeness of God who can't be seen. He is first and He is over all of creation. All things were created by Him. He created everything in the heaven and on earth. He created everything that can be seen and everything that can't be seen. He created kings, powers, rulers, authorities. Everything was created by Him and for Him. Now, if everything was created by Him and for Him, then it's not about you and it's not about me, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? Before anything was created, He was already there. And again, He holds everything together. And He is the head of the body, which is the church. Who's the boss of this church? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? He bled and died for it. He purchased us. And he is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning. He is the first to be raised from the dead. That happened so that he would be far above everything. God was pleased to have his whole nature living in Christ. God was pleased to bring all things back to himself because of what Christ has done. That includes all things on earth and in heaven. God made peace through Christ's blood, through his death on the cross. Number six, Jesus Christ is assumed to have been preexistent as the eternal Son of God prior to his incarnation, prior to his birth, Jesus was. Now then, you say, Brother Steve, we know this. Not everybody listening knows this. That's why we're teaching this series why Do we believe that? We can't assume that everybody knows truth and believes truth and applies truth to their life. This is a crucial point because it emphasizes that God the Son has always existed. It's not that Jesus, being a human being, somehow became God by His miraculous birth or His spectacular baptism. It's, it's, it's all the way backward than that, isn't it? It's the other way around. The second person of the Trinity took on human nature in addition to His divine nation, His divine nature. Now, here's what we got to know and understand. The incarnation is not subtraction. It's addition. We see this in passages like Philippians 2, 6 and 7. In his very nature, he was God. But he did not think that being equal with God was something he should hold on to. Instead, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He was made in human form. Now, in doing this, he didn't give up his divinity. He only paused the status and privilege of his heavenly standing. Look with me at 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. God has saved us. He has chosen us to live a holy life. It wasn't because of anything we have done, it was because of His own purpose and grace. Through Christ Jesus, God gave us that grace even before time began. Is that not glorious news this morning? It has now been made known through the coming of our Savior, Christ Jesus. He has destroyed death because of the good news. He has brought life out of, or out into the light that never, that life never dies. Now, here's what Paul's doing Paul isn't trying to demonstrate the preexistence of Christ, he is arguing from the fact that Christ was preexistent. So Scripture is clear when it teaches the mystery that Jesus Christ is God. Here's a helpful way. It's in your hand out there. It's in your listening guide. It has to do with your hand. And if you look at your hand and and you practice what I've given you there in your listening guide, it explains the deity of Christ and what the Bible teaches here. A helpful way to remember what Scripture says about the deity of Christ. So look at your hand there, your thumb. Jesus Christ shares the honors due to God because He receives worship. Jesus Christ shares the attributes of God. He's holy, He's righteous, He's all-powerful. Jesus Christ shares the names of God, Lord, God, Alpha, and Omega. Jesus Christ shares the deeds that God does. He forgives sin, He raises the dead, He creates the world. And Jesus Christ shares the seat of God's throne. let catch up. Moving along. Let's look at the importance and beauty of Christ's deity. The importance and beauty of Christ's deity. When we talk about Christ's deity, it's most supremely important And as you study this and begin to understand it, honestly, you can say it's beautiful, It's a beautiful picture. When we rightly understand the person of Jesus, here's what happens, folks. You know, not only as a pastor, but as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a neighbor, as a co-worker, as a member of the community, You know, at certain points in your life, you just look around, you begin to see how people are just so down and out. People are just losing hope. And, And probably the most horrifying year of your life was probably the past 12 months, 2020. Living in the middle of a pandemic. A wild and crazy election. Christmas Day, a bomb goes off in downtown Nashville and some of you may still be affected by that. Telephone service, internet service. its Horrible, it's terrible. I'm going to say that it's okay to get down and out from time to time, but it's not okay to get down and out and stay there. We're human beings. We're going to experience those dark times, aren't we? But when we know and believe right things about God, and we know and believe right things about the Lord Jesus Christ, it leads us to confidence. We know who's on the throne today. We know who is in control. Even when everything that we see is in complete chaos, we know God is in control. It brings great confidence. It brings joy in the middle of suffering. And it allows us to worship. When our minds and our bodies don't want to worship, our heart says, I must worship God because I love Him because He first loved me. Some might ask, well, why does the deity of Christ matter so much? Let me give you three reasons as we finish up. Number one, the deity of Christ matters for revelation. Revelation. You see, God didn't just send us a prophet. He didn't just send us a messenger. He didn't just send us a press secretary. He he didn't just give us a book. What did God give us? Himself. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave us Himself that should give us the greatest assurance. And we don't have to wonder what God's like, do we? The men's Bible study on Wednesday nights, we, we, we dived into the book of Matthew because the book of Matthew, just like every book in the book, is all about Jesus. And I was just so hungry because the last time I taught Hope 200, uh, every time we teach Hope 200, if you come through that class, part of the assignment for the four weeks is we read the entire New Testament in 30 days. And, and the last time I read through the entire Testament, New Testament in 30 days, I was just so captivated as never before with the four Gospels. Just Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I'm telling you, it just consumed me. So when we started meeting on Wednesday nights for men's Bible study, I, I threw it out there and said, Guys, what do you all want to study? And nobody said a word. So I said, Let's study about Jesus. They said, That's an awesome idea. And I said, Let's dig in. And so, every Wednesday night, we're learning about Jesus and learning about Jesus and learning about Jesus. And if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Well, see, he's invisible. How do I look at Jesus? Well, you look at His revelation of Himself. Everything you can... Let me say this, more than you'll ever comprehend this side of eternity is written about Jesus in this book. You will never exhaust what is written about Jesus in this book. If you want to know Jesus and know Him more, read the book. Get to know Him personally. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Again, in the past, God spoke to our people through the prophets. He spoke at many times. He spoke in many different ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us through His Son. He is the one whom God appointed to receive all things. God made everything through Him. John chapter 1, verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son, is at the Father's side. He has shown us what God is like. How did He show us? By the way He did life. By the way He did life. The way He loved people. You ever struggle with trying to imagine God. I can remember as a kid trying to sit and think about God and my mind would just explode inside my head. You know, try to figure out eternity. Try to figure out that God always has been and always will be. If you want a migraine, that'll give you one. Just believe it and take it as fact. So, If you want to know about God, just look at Jesus. Why? Because He's God in the flesh. Number two. Not only does the deity of Christ matter for revelation, the deity of Christ matters for salvation. The constant message of the Bible is that no mere man could ever achieve salvation for himself, yet alone on the behalf of others. What does Ephesians teach us? For by grace you have been saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, not not of the works of man because then men could boast. But it's the free gift of salvation. Jonah 2, 9 declares salvation belongs to the Lord. God Himself achieved salvation and He does it in the person of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20 says that God bought the church with His own blood. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. God was pleased to have His whole nature living in Christ. God was pleased to bring all things back to Himself because of what Christ has done. That includes all things on earth and in heaven. God made peace through Christ's blood through His death on the cross. You see, it's only the perfect God-man that can serve as mediator between man and God. And know this, folks. Jesus didn't die just to be a good example. Jesus died to pay for your sins and my sins so that we could be saved and born again and have everlasting life. First Peter 3.18, the righteousness or the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Lastly, the deity of Christ matters for the Christian life. Contrary to what you may think, contrary to what you may believe, contrary to what you may have been taught, our salvation is not some sort of of get-out-of-hell transaction. Did you hear what I said? Salvation is not just a get out of hell transaction. We have been saved to live the Christian life. And the only way we can live the Christian life is by Christ dwelling in us and living it on the inside of us, for us, and through us. Paul said. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. What did he go on to say? Yet not I, Christ, who lives in me. It's not a transaction, it's a transformation when Jesus comes on the inside of us. We go from being represented by Adam to being united with the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians thirteen five. Jesus Christ in you. Romans 8 and 10, Christ lives in you. Somebody ought to shout amen. Christ lives in you. So your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because you have been made right with God. Lastly, know and adore Christ. Know and adore Christ. So as we walk out the doors today, having heard what we've heard, studying what we have studied, what what should we do with it? For one, I hope that you are more eager to know more about Jesus. I hope that you're even more convinced and committed to abiding in Him. And I hope you're more encouraged to listen to and obey His Word fully and completely. John Owen said, You love Him not because you know Him not. Can I say something, a matter of fact, today? If you don't love God, you don't know God. If you don't love Jesus, it's because you don't have Jesus. If you know God, you can't help but love Him. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can't help but love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. John Calvin wrote, Since rich store of every kind of good abounds in Christ, let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. See, that's the issue today in our culture. We're drinking from too many fountains. Drinking from the fountain of the world, the fountain of self, and the fountain of this, that, and the other thing. And we should find our fill in the fountain of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Steve, why is that? Because he's our prophet, he's our priest, he's our eternal king. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's worthy of worship and awe and wonder in all of our affection. He's supreme. He's lifted up. Yet he humbled himself to die on the cross of Calvary for you and me, didn't he? He took our filthy rags and he exchanged them for his brilliant righteousness. It don't take long for me to stand and look in the mirror and see what I'm not when I look beyond the mirror and I look on the inside of me, I know who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that gives me purpose. It gives me joy. And one day soon, I've been hearing preachers say that for 54 years. And I still believe it today. that one day soon He will return. And we'll sit with Him at the banquet table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The cleansed and the radiant bride with her divine, faithful, glorious, loving bridegroom. That's one wedding I'm not going to miss. I won't be there to marry anyone. I'll be there as the bride of Christ. Let's stand to our feet this morning.